We're talking about blessings. We're going to put Grammy on the bottom. Thank you, gentlemen. Now, don't you see the family resemblance? Resemblance? What do you mean, actually, you kind of do? Just, I'm not going to review, I had all this down, but I do want to tell you this. This is the way we started the year. Pastor Hank Kuhneman, that uh, is a pastor in Omaha and also a prophet, very prophetic. And his wife is as prophetic as he is. Great teacher. And this is what he said about this year. And I want to review this because you, it's, it's good. With all that's going on in this world today that isn't good, this is good. And uh, this is what he said by the Spirit of God for this year for the body of Christ. And it lined up because God put on my heart about the word about blessings. He said that, uh, number one, the year, this would be the year of new direction, a year of rest, restoration, reversal, and retribution. It shall be a year of those things that have been and that are being held back to suddenly turn and come your way to bless you. That's good. It says, it shall be a year that divine provision and blessing will be released as part of the work of restoration, recovery, and reversal that I will bring to my people. He says this, declare that 2015 will be known as a year of feasting of the Lord. He prepares a table before me in the what? Presence of my enemies. Be a year of feasting of the Lord. This year I want my people to come and feast and come and dine upon my blessings, says the Spirit. So I thought that's good because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every every word be established. And uh, he's talking about blessings and I'm talking about blessings. So I want you... Uh, you know, to encourage yourself and expect blessings this year. And when we talk about that, we're just not meaning, you know, finances, but there's other things that can bless you. Amen? Now, I've been studying and reading a book for quite a while. It's called The Forgotten Blessing about by Aaron Frew. It's, a, it's entitled Ancient Words That Heal Generational Wounds. I want you to turn your Bible. Would you turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 6? Exodus chapter 6. I want you to see today that our God is a God of generations. Everyone say generations. Exodus chapter 6 and verse, let's start with verse 2. It says, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord... Now listen, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Did you notice he he mentions three generations? And you can go through the Bible, and there's a thread there. When you see this, when God the Father addresses this issue or situation, he talks about generations. Now look at Psalm 78. Psalms 78. Say, God is a God 
of generations. Go through the Bible and study that word, and you'll see that it's used a number of times. This is a wonderful psalm. Psalm 78, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth, and I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we've heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Who? So the responsibility is upon the fathers. We will not hide them from their children. Now listen, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Did you notice he commanded what? The fathers to make it known. The children who would be born that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now, the author says this, God is always designed to work across generations. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, the first in God's family, was called to cover, bless, bless, and protect his son Isaac. Isaac was responsible to bless the generation that would come after him. Remember what we talked about? Jacob, did he get really, you think, the attention he should have from his father? He didn't think so. It says, that Isaac was responsible to bless the generation that would come after him. That is the divine order of things. Each generation is to nourish and protect the following generation. That's our responsibility as fathers. That's our responsibility as grandfathers. Isn't it interesting today society is all about self? I, you know, very selfish. My generation, very selfish. Kathy and I have talked about that. Uh, we see relatives and we see people in their lives selfish. All they're concerned about is meeting their needs, buying their material possessions. Let it not be said of that, that Harvest Church is that way. Because we should be interested and have always promoted another generation. Okay? Now... I want to talk to you about stories. Every life has a story. Say, my life's a story. Some stories more interesting than others, but still, it's a story. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that, and uh, we'll see four elements to every story. But I want to tell you a little story. I'm going to just take a couple minutes and talk to you about my story. Uh, when, when did you start this? A couple years ago? <clears throat> Kathy took upon herself this monta- monumental, monumental job of going through and, and putting this book together, The Family Tree, for both sides of the family. Now, why did she do that? Well, I've got two gardener boys, the end of the line here, that, and, and they didn't know where they came from. 
They didn't know anything about their past, really. I mean, I grew up, my father was a businessman. He, was, he worked a lot. My mother, it just wasn't in their makeup to sit down and tell me about grandpa and grandma. It, they just weren't that way. And so, but we did have a, a wealth of material. And uh, that old boy right there is my great, great grandfather, William. That is his stoic-looking wife there on the bottom. Her name was Asenath. Can you imagine the name Asenath? And she could not read or write. And uh, they were the ultimate pioneers. I come from pioneer stock. She comes from pioneer stock. What are you laughing at? They don't look happy. They didn't have bottled water back then. <laughs> they couldn't go to a quick trip, okay? And uh, I want you, you know, if kids, if you don't know about your parents, your grand, well, you should know about your parents, but your grandparents, your great-grandparents, you should ask mom and dad, sit down and ask grandpa and grandma stories when they were young. Remember, Helen, when you were young? This book, I can't, I don't have the, the time, but this book starts out with two, two generations before William. His father was Samuel. Samuel's father was Nathan. And this was the last generation that I discovered when I was doing research. He was born in the year, Nathan was born in the year 1754 in the state of Vermont. Um... He had a stepfather and worked at his stepfather's forge until the revolution broke out. He enlisted as a private soldier. His regimental number is not known. He remained under the command of General Washington until the close of the war. He was in the Battle of Bunker Hill, June 1775, and he crossed the Delaware with Washington's forces December 25th. When I discovered this, I cried because I was so thrilled about where I came from that I actually had family that did something, you know, remarkable. I'd say, you know, Bunker Hill and crossing the Delaware was remarkable. Well, he, he got married, and, and uh, then they had Samuel, and I don't have pictures of, the, of Samuel, but... Uh, he was also a pioneer. And then William came along, and this is where, where it begins. They farmed in Indiana and Ohio for, for a number of years. And then he and his son Isaac, this was my great-grandfather. This was their son. They uh, were on a steam um, paddle boat, came, I don't know, they came to Nebraska City. And uh, we're going to file a claim for land down by Fairbury. And so what Isaac did, this distinguished-looking gentleman, he lived to be 92, by the way, walked all the way from Nebraska City to Fairbury, Nebraska. Walked. And then set up a claim, and both he and William had 160 acres. They put the Saudi on both claims so that they could live together in one house. And that started... This, you know, the Gardner family, he was a very um, 
uh, I guess, social individual, and, and uh, they started in a Saudi, then they built a house. And it says it was an eight-room house. He was known for miles around um, as a gathering place for religious meetings. Now, when I heard that, that thrilled me. Because everybody wants to know if somewhere down the line there was somebody spiritual in the family. They were United Brethren. I don't know a lot about the United Brethren. But... uh, He uh, farmed there, and, and uh, uh, we've got all kinds of stories. I know one year he raised 2,300 bushels of apples on his farm. That's a lot of apples. One day he came home, and his fire, house had caught fire and was burned in the ground. But he never quit. He traded his farm, went and bought a plantation in Missouri. He had three wives, by the way, at different times. And then, you know, he came to Fairbury. Then he started a cement block factory. I, I got to quit here. A cement block fa- uh, factory. And one area of my hometown is, is, is made out of these cement blocks. And uh, the whole corner, and there's half a dozen houses. He had a son who was my grandpa. I never knew him, Amos. Amos was a bookkeeper in Fairbury at a lumber yard. Amos was an alcoholic, and the only story I remember is what they sent him to Grand Island for the cure. And uh, he, had, he had issues. And we're talking about stories. Now we're talking about generations. He married this woman, uh, Effie McNerney. McNerney. Where you think she came from. And uh, the story we have about her was, this is where we get into some dysfunctional behavior. Effie was a little girl, and she and her mother, who she lost when she was a little girl, would have to go out the back window of the house when dad came home because he was a raging alcoholic. Verbally abused, and I, I have no idea if he physically abused them, but Effie grew up full of fear. Had a lot of depression. My mom had to take care of her, brought her into her, my folks' home, and they, they took care of her until she died. A lot of issues. But her, her uh, father, Thomas McNerney, the, the guy with problems, we have the most interesting article, and I, I won't read it to you, but it's how he died. He was oiling a machine, and his sleeve caught into the, into the gears, and it pulled him in and just tore his body to pieces. Interesting death, huh? Then you go on, and, and my dad had a sister, and, and uh, then we come to my dad. Kathy did a super job with this. Pictures when he was a boy. Uh, he was in the Army band. He was a jazz musician, played golf. Then he bought a shoe store, and... Uh, after he bought the shoe store, he died of cancer. Kind of sad. And then it goes to this good-looking guy right here. <laughs> My goodness, I had hair back then. Then it, then it talks about the boys. One of the places that we always visited was in Fairbury. It was called the Big Rock, where, where the Gardner homes were. It was there from, I don't know, the Ice Age or whatever. But my dad carved his initials when he was a little boy. And we got a picture when he carved E.G. 
His name was Elmer Gardner. And uh, so it, it goes there, but it ends. She did one with each boy. This is Micah's book. So now Micah will fill the rest of that book up. But they'll, they'll have a book to go to. They wouldn't have if she hadn't taken the initiative to do it to understand their story, where they came from. Everybody has a story. The boys used to bring kids home, and these were hanging in the basement. One day they came running up the stairs screaming and out the back door because it scared them. You know, God is a God of of generations. Now, let me pick up. He says there are four elements to every story. The setting, the conflict, the climax, and the resolution. Everyone likes a good story. And when it really comes down to it, our lives are like stories. We even say things like, that's the story of my life. Most of us wonder how our stories will end in triumph or in tragedy. Our biggest question is probably, will be, will, be, will we be all alone when we take our last breath or will we be surrounded by those who love us? But what about the fourth and most important element in a storyline? We all have resolved our issues, or will we have resolved our issues, healed our wounds, helped our children to grow up without the pain and baggage that we endured, or will we simply never complete our life story and die with unresolved conflicts, leaving the generation that follows to unpack the bags that they inherited from us? At the most fundamental level, the patterns of our life stories are all the same. We start our stories in a setting. We're all born into a family of some kind. Because the setting has people in it, there's always potential conflict. Do you ever have any conflict in your family? Conflict that is managed is healthy. Unresolved conflict is destructive. Thus, we develop our character, personality, and conflict styles in the settings in which we are raised. So my grandmother, that had all the issues because her dad was an alcoholic, you know, there was a lot of conflict and never resolved a lot of the issues in her life. He says, if we are raised in a healthy environment that is filled with love, acceptance, forgiveness, mutual respect, and openness, chances are pretty good that we will become well-balanced adults on our way to a storybook ending. We will leave in our wake children and grandchildren who are emotionally well-balanced and can now start their own stories, free from having to rewrite the tragedies that we left for them. How many of you started your own stories? How many of you had tragedies in your family and other generations? You start your own stories. He says, if, however, our caregivers never resolve their own life issues, they simply unpack the baggage from their caregivers and pile it onto us. Someone once said that our stories become us. The tragedy of this statement is that it is a reality for so many. Generation After generation, people live out someone else's story and come to life's end without final resolution to their conflicts. As a result, the curtain never closes on the stage, and generation after generation must deal with the same issues. Teacher, do you ever see that in the classroom? The Bible has a name for those unending tragic stories. 
In the scriptures, they are called generational, generational iniquities. Okay, look at Exodus, would you? Look at Exodus chapter 34. I want you to, you know, leave today thinking about your own story. I don't want you to concentrate on the bad, but I want you to really concentrate on how you can make it better for the kids and the grandkids. Exodus 34 and verse 6. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. That's the God we serve. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. What's passed down from generation to generation? What's the word say here? Iniquity. Everyone say iniquity. Iniquity is what's passed down from generation to the next. And that's what this, we look here, actions requiring forgiveness are broken down into three areas. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, let's define these simply. Sin means missing the mark or the bullseye or missing God's standard. Transgression is a willful stepping aside from God's law. Iniquity is often caused by a bruise. Everyone say bruise. From the past that has festered and is now spoiling, spoiling over purpose, or spoiling our purpose and destiny. See, my grandma Effie, my dad's mother, had a lot of bruises because of her past, because of iniquity that was passed down. And she would sit in her room, and she'd be depressed, and all she ever was concerned about was herself. And it made it hell for my mother and my father who had her in their own home with kids of their own, but yet there's grandma, she was a bruised woman. She'd experienced so many tragic things in her life. Her own, her, her 12-year-old brother, whose, whose name was Elmer, who my dad was named after, which is I never thought was a great name. But she lost her little brother to appendicitis. He died. And so she grew up that way. And, and, and so my dad, we found out later, I didn't know this story, but my dad grew up and, and uh, his mom would come into the room and there would my dad be, a little boy just staring out the window, just depressed. This is back in the 20s, depressed, sitting, you know, and my, my grandmother never promoted, she was afraid of everything. And my dad would always want to go to the movie. But, you know, they didn't have a lot of money back then in the Depression. 
You want to go to the movie, probably cost a nickel or a dime. And, and he knew how to manipulate Mama, so he'd come in and say, Mama, I, I think I'm going hunting. I'm going to go shoot something. And she'd say, Elmer, wouldn't you rather go to the movie? And out would come a coin, and he could go to the movie. So Grandma had some bruises, and that's what we're talking about, iniquity. You know, all of us, you know, maybe are experiencing some things like that, but it doesn't end that way when you become a Christian, a born-again believer, all right? So how is this all passed on? How is iniquity passed on? And This is where it gets to the good part, so listen up. This is how iniquity is passed on. Listen to the scripture. You don't need to turn there. James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Interesting. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. So how does, how does this happen when, you know, it talks about iniquity being passed down generation, a generation, a generation, a generation, the tongue. Kids are abused, and most abuse is usually verbal. And I, I always, and I, I know I, I, I don't mean to pick on you, Ron, but Ron, the lawyer in the church, has dealt, and he could tell you, and he, he won't, but he could tell you story after story after story of what I'm talking about. And it's sad and it's pathetic, and it shouldn't be that way. And I'm not just talking about the world, folks. I'm talking about born-again believers. It shouldn't be that way. Amen? Now, let's pick up. What, what are the... Experts say about this. He says, it is interesting. He says, please note that it is iniquity that is passed down from one generation to the next. It is interesting that psychologists who study the impact of unresolved family conflict that pass from one generation to the next have a name for these unending stories. They classify unresolved family conflicts as transgenerational verbal abuse. This doctor makes this statement, this psychologist, and this is her, I'm quoting her. It says, in order to survive it with, with even a shell of strength and some degree of personal worth, you had to master it yourself. The sad part of that process was, it, was its inevitability being passed on like a legacy to the next generation. He says, there are three primary themes that have been observed in abusive and neglectful families. The most common effect is that maltreated children are essentially rejected. Children that are rejected by their parents will have a host of problems, including difficulty developing emotional intimacy. In abusive families, it is common for this rejection and abuse to be transgenerational. The neglectful parent was neglected as a child. They pass on the way they were parented. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today, this applies. Well, this isn't the end of the story, so don't get the tissue out yet. Okay? 
Child abuse and neglect is transgenerational. The probability, depending upon the type and extent, comparing physical abuse to verbal abuse, verbal abuse is most likely to be transmitted from one generation to another. The form of abuse that is most damaging to a child's self-perception is verbal abuse. What is it, verbal abuse? Simply put, Verbal abuse is any statement spoken or implied that causes emotional damage. This abuse becomes transgenerational when a damaged person continues in the same storyline and carries on the abuse he or she received by imparting it to others. The tragedy of abuse, this doctor says, is its repetitive pattern through succeeding generations and over a broad range of life situations. Children who were verbally abused are more than likely to abuse their peers, siblings, teachers. As they mature, they will probably abuse their spouses, fellow employees, or bosses. If these victims are in a position of authority, they will no doubt abuse those whom they supervise and heaven help their own children. Now listen, I want to make a statement, and this is, this is important. The pathway toward healing our generational wounds starts by recognizing that the things that have happened to us are not the last word on who we are. Thank you. I'll say it again. The pathway toward healing our generational wounds starts by recognizing that the things that have happened to us are not the last word on who we are. Now, I'm not even going to go into detail. She gives, you know, characteristics about, you know, degrading, terrorizing, exploiting, rejecting, corrupting, isolating, or neglecting. Um... It says, now listen to this. Identifying the fact that we are victims of emotional and verbal abuse will leave us with a victim's mentality if we stay there. Now, I, I know some of this is kind of deep or it's a little meaty, but I'll tell you what, it's important. Identifying the fact that we're victims of emotional and verbal abuse will leave us with a victim's mentality if we stay there. True healing begins when we recognize that we may have unknowingly unpacked the baggage of unresolved generational issues and are wearing someone else's costume, playing out the same dreadful drama. You see, healing transgenerational abuse takes more than simply identifying and renouncing a bondage or iniquity that has been left for you to contend with. A costume change in the middle of a play does not change the storyline. In our rush to be free and get back on stage and bring a happy ending to our lives, we quickly sew new garments for ourselves. Kind of sounds like Adam and Eve, doesn't it? But this does not remove the feelings of rejection or shame. Our clothing is not unlike the fabric in Jesus' parable. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old. The tear is made worse. Thus, it is not enough to identify and renounce these transgenerational curses or even to forgive our abusers. The curses will continue to hurt us. Everyone say curses. This is because transgenerational curses do not strike randomly. They are caused. 
Proverbs 26, 2 states, Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. It seems unfair to the, vict- to the innocent victim, but a curse that comes through the constant degrading rejection and manipulation of an abuser has a cause. Each of us, now listen, each of us has a choice to speak life or death into the next generation. Each of us, no matter how many mistakes grandma and grandpa made, how many mistakes mom and dad made, we have a responsibility to speak life into the next generation. A wholesome tongue, Proverbs says, is a tree of life. Remember, death and life are in the what? Power of the tongue. Physical abuse and emotional abuse are often connected and both are deeply traumatic But note this statement from one of our earlier quotes. The form of abuse that is most damaging to a child's self-perception is verbal abuse. I think that the most telling proverb concerning the tongue is this one. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The injuries from words pierce like a sword. And they do not heal on their own. Though a person can be freed from a curse and even forgive her abusers, she's still left with a gaping wound. She's still desperate for verbal blessing and acceptance. Not knowing how to fill the void, she will often return to the abuser and try once again to gain verbal blessing and love. But the abuser may not have found his or her own healing yet. And the victim gradually falls prey once again to the abuser's influence. Before long, it's the same old story, same stage, same baggage, same wardrobe. Scripture understands, I'm almost done, why this crisis is so prevalent in, is so prevalent in the world today. First of all, he says, remember the scripture, remember about the iniquity of the father that is passed from generation to generation. We saw that iniquity means a lack of self-control or life without boundaries. Generational iniquity then is one generation without self-control, bruising and harming the coming generation. As iniquity is passed down, a new generation is stripped of its protective covering as, and is t- in turn bruised. Left uncovered and rejected by the previous generation, this new generation loses its self-control, inner equilibrium and that balances out behaviors and life decisions. Now listen. The full outworking of iniquity is found here. A life without boundaries or self-control is lawlessness. And the Bible says that in the last days there will be a spirit of what? Lawlessness. You see, our generation is under a general curse. The curse of fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. This is not a new phenomenon. 2,000 years ago, Paul the Apostle said, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. Paul was saying that in his day, not many people were willing to have the spirit of a father and provide covering for or mentor others. And fatherlessness was not even a new phenomenon in Paul's day. 400 years earlier, the Old Testament ended with a solemn warning about the true spirit of a father. The last... last 31 words of the Old Testament. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. 
God has always designed to work across generations. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, the first in God's family, was called to cover and bless and protect his son Isaac. I read this, but I wanted you to read it, hear it again. Isaac was responsible to bless the generation would come after him. That is the divine order of things. Each generation is to nourish and protect the following generation. See, I want Micah and Caleb to continue the book. Hopefully they got someone, well, Caleb will have a wife that will continue the book. She's into that. Because the, the story goes on, folks. Your story goes on in your kids. And you can blame grandma and grandpa, great-grandma and grandpa. You can blame William and Asenath because their names, their names and their scary look. This, this has been the curse for me that, that I would look like that. He's got more hair, though. Each of us has a choice. And if we've made mistakes, then confess your sin. Lord, I've screwed up. How many parents here besides me have screwed up? I thought maybe it was just me. How many of you know grandma and grandpa can screw up? Great-grandpa and grandma, great-great-grandpa and grandma can screw up. But we have a choice. And I'll end this with these scriptures because these are so good as I was thinking about the word iniquity, sin and transgression. First Peter 2.24 says, Jesus in reference to Jesus, who his own self bear our sins. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus Christ is the end of all that. And we need to renew our mind to the fact of who we are in Christ. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Yes, mistakes were made. We've all made mistakes. I've made mistakes with Caleb and Micah. We all have. But I got to go on. You have to go on. We have to finish the story, folks, and give it a happy ending. Amen. Let's stand our feet this morning.